Hey, welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abrahams Alunga. So you are probably aware that we are in the middle of a fundraising push, and I wanted to just talk candidly about why we're fundraising and what it means. So for those of you who are newer to the You Had Me at Black family, you know that we're a storytelling podcast and we're also a kickback event series for people who just love being black. And our mission is to reclaim the black narrative by passing the mic to regular people to share their true life stories in their own words. And for us, this isn't just about black excellence. I think that's something that, you know, is really popular right now. And you you see it through different publications and it's a very popular hashtag. And I think that we definitely need to celebrate all that and everything that is excellent about being black and the black experience in black culture. But our show is also about just black reality and the beautiful, heartbreaking and joyous moments of everyday black life, the mundane moments, um, the non-excellent moments, um, the, the really human moments. And we've been doing this show for about three years now. And in that time, we've published over 70 stories. And last year, we went on tour with our kickbacks and hosted them in five different cities. And our community has really grown. Last month, we hit half a million downloads and streams, which is crazy when you consider that in our first year, we only received 50,000 downloads. So between years one and three, we multiplied that dramatically. And what most people don't know about our show or that they're surprised to learn about our show is that we're 100% volunteer run. And we're mostly self-funded. So what that means is everyone who works in our team pays their bills through something else. And they're really doing You Had Me at Black because they believe in the mission and it's a labor of love for our community. Our team members have full-time jobs. They have families. Many of them are parents. They're in school. Um, But we all really believe that there are black stories that need to be told, especially ones that tend to get brushed under the rug or overlooked. And as you can imagine... Being volunteer-run has its challenges. It limits how many stories we're able to produce and how often we can release new seasons. And, you know, if you've been with us for since the beginning, you can know how sometimes we stretch <laughs> the time between our seasons. And we get messages from our listeners all the time on, on through email or on social, just like, hey, when is the new season coming out? When is the new season coming out? And so, you know, it, it's this model has been definitely... A challenge for us, um, but it's something that we are remain committed to because we know that this work is really, really important. Um, and what we want for this show is we we just want to be able to do more. Um, we want to be able to capture more stories in more places. We want to feature the diaspora more holistically. We want to really tackle issues that uh, we. I think as a black community, we sometimes tend to sleep on or things that might be harmful to us as a whole. Um, and doing that requires resources. You know, it requires people, it requires funds, it requires equipment, um, it requires know-how. And so that, this year is really a strategic one for us because we've sat down and really thought about, well, what do we need to bring the show to the next level to make it self-sustainable for many, many years to come to make it a, a really a, a stronghold within the community in terms of showing our voices, 
um, and really empowering the community collectively to to share stories um, and and to not be afraid to to speak up and to feel validated in our own life's experiences, whatever they might be. And so that's the reason why we decided to open up our show to contributions. It, we had never done that before um, in an ongoing basis. And, you know, these, these contributions are something that will just go right back into the show. So they'll help with production costs, they'll help with equipment, they'll help with marketing, all the different things that it takes to not only produce a show, but to really grow a movement in a way that is sustainable. And you might have heard me say that our goal starting out is 100 contributions a week of $10 each week. And that's really, really not a lot when you think about it. Um, you know, we have 15, about 10,000 people listen to You Had Me at Black every week. And 100 is just 1% of 10,000. So we're just looking for 1% of the people who will listen to our show this week to donate $10. And then next week, we're looking for another 1% to give $10. And then the next week, we're looking for another 1% to give $10. And we're looking for this through May 16th. And what once we hit that goal, what that means for you listening is it means more stories. It means that those you'll get those stories more often. It means more events. It's something that we've taken a break from, but we definitely want to um, get back into doing. And so I, I just really wanted to spend that time to tell you a little bit about where our hearts are and why and how we came to this this point in our journey on, as you had me at Black. Uh, I want to make you, make it super clear that like we're not going anywhere. But when it comes to building movement, it really takes a village, right? It takes many, many, many hands doing many, many different things. And so if this is something that you believe in, if this is a show that you love, if you feel connected to these stories and the storytellers and the people who open up their souls and their lives for us every week, then I would really implore you to consider making a contribution. You can go to youhadmeatblack.com slash 100. That's youhadmeatblack.com slash 100 um, to make a contribution. Thanks. Alrighty, let's get into this week's story. Hey, welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Brittany Abrahams, and this week's story comes from Michelangelo. Michelangelo is the grandson of a notorious crime lord. When he decides to break free from that world, he learns very quickly what family really means. Here's what happened. I want you to breathe all this in. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. Black. Light in the heart of the city. Black. Man, Black. listen, Black. man. Black. Black. <laughs> this is You Have Me at Black, and we live, baby. So while my story starts in 2017, this goes back to my family history. There's some gangster shit going on. My great-grandfather's name was Red Dick. He was involved in prostitution rings, maiming, shaking down people for money. My grandfather had two sons. He had my dad and he had my uncle who was no longer here. My uncle, you know, he'd done a lot of bad stuff to people. Rumsey killed people too, and he'd done what he had to do. But he got set up and he died. Now, while my dad went to the Navy, ended up going to college and, you know, wanted to get out that gutter life, grew up in Baltimore as the son of one of the biggest, you know, crime lords in the goddamn city. 
but he still got into that gangster shit. He loved that shit. It just ran the family blood. So he tried to put that on me. So I was about to graduate from college in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had a study abroad opportunity right after graduation to go to South Africa to do an internship. And I get a phone call one day, and it's my father. And he says, you know, I hear it goes in South Africa. I said, yeah, I am. And he says, well, you're not going to do that. You're going to stay and get a regular job like the rest of us. I said, why did you say that? He said, well, it's not fair to people like me and your people who fought for your education for you to do what you want. And he said, if you go, you have to pay me back for the money I spent. And if you don't, I'm going to come after you, Michael Corleone style. Do I make myself clear? My father, he abused the fuck out of me verbally and physically. He made me fear him. And he did not want me to study abroad because he's a jealous motherfucker. When he was my age, he had already gotten a woman pregnant. He hadn't got his bachelor's yet. He didn't have the opportunities to study abroad for luxury if it wasn't for the Navy. He didn't have the opportunity to do what he wanted in school. So thus he felt like I wasn't being respectful of what people had sacrificed for me. So because, you know, my dad had a life threat on me and he was putting surveillance on the entire family as well. That whole summer, I'm depressed as shit post-grad. My dad and my mom told me, oh, you should get a regular job like the rest of us. Here I am coming from Atlanta post-grad. And they want me to get in the loop of a blue-collar job. So I made a free tutoring account on Care.com, and I got a manager position at Marshall's. But then I recognized my family was just so toxic because my mother was just taking money from my sister, extorting her out of 100 to $400 a week. She only wanted me to get a blue-collar job just so she can get the money. And that's far in the deep depression. Because I'm just like dealing with extortion, a death threat, losing weight, and then... I found out that my friend Princess died in a car crash. Then my aunt, she had died as well. And I started off the summer with someone from my Alpha by Alpha Botillion in high school. He died. So it was a little like all my friends were dead. One day, I was messaging my best friend Aaron. Aaron asked me, how are you doing, Michelangelo? And I just couldn't lie to that nigga. I hate being a vulnerable black man or expressing my feelings like that. I just was like... Bro, to be honest with you, bro, I'm not doing too hot right now. And he's like, this is not the Michelangelo I know. And I love you, bro. And we're going to help you get through this. But like, I just was still depressed. I couldn't shake that depression. So here I am in my Marshall's job. And I just start bawling. I felt as if my family had nothing for me anymore. Nothing's going right. And I want to commit suicide that day. But I just awakened, like an awakening, if you will. And I was able to see everything from a bird's eye view. And then I felt bold enough to do what I needed to do. The next day, I quit my job at Marshall. I closed my bank account, got a new bank account. I changed my phone number, changed my email, and I just moved out. Like, while people were away at work, I started to move my boxes into the car and then move them piece by piece to my ex-girlfriend's house. And then on the last day, I just dipped off from the entire world. So here I am on the run, I was hiding. And one fateful day, my mother and sister pulled up to me. So as I'm walking down the road to go to my ex-girlfriend's house to sleep the night, the car rolls up and they say, do you need a ride? They tried to date jokingly, but I was just like, no. They pulled around. She said, I thought you were dead. I said, you know, I'm all right. They said, are you mentally ill? She said, what's your phone number? And I didn't want to give her my phone number. I was keeping silent. 
And my sister, I told her I didn't want to talk to her. And then my mom pulled up on me. Next thing I know, she started attacking me. And while my dad threatened my life, my mother in that moment tried to commit murder by jamming a heel into my eye. My sister got in the way and blocked it. And I like walked away. And then I realized at that point, I'm not safe in Baltimore. And I felt very much focused on my goal of getting out. But like, I didn't have a lot of anybody. And then I was homeless for 38 consecutive days until my friend said, oh, you're what? You're where? And the first thing she did was contact Ayana. Me and Ayana knew each other from undergrad. Extremely beautiful. Uh, you know, from Boston. She was just a great woman. So Ayana was just in the goddamn fit. I'll never forget that shit. Ayana said, oh, hell to the fucking all. Ayana alone orchestrated with our friends. She called the Alumni Association of... That woman went to work. Ayana was able to get me housing until I got housing on campus of my post-grad institution in Maryland. She helped lead me to the people would help me get on-campus housing. If it was not for Ayana, I might have been dead by now. One day, coming out of my post-grad class, and phones blowing up, text messages over and over and over and over again. I was like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Then somebody calls me, and I answer the phone. It's my homegirl, Ayamide. She says, Michelangelo, you're on the news. You know, they said you're missing. What the hell's going on? And I'm like, stop bullshitting. And then I realized my parents are extremely brilliant. They did that, so somebody would cough up my information. And the thing about it, the report goes viral across the nation. The very next day, the Baltimore Homicide Unit called me. I don't know how these niggas got my number. They go say, worried about you, your mom, you know, are you safe? I said, I'm good. And they said, do you want to call off the investigation? I said, damn sure I want to call off the investigation. And because my number was a 404 number, the report went out that Michelangelo has been found in Atlanta, Georgia. You fucking dumbasses. But my parents were still vigilant, especially my father, who felt like he'd been got over on. And my mother, who felt like they'd been outsmarted. So if they heard I was in Atlanta, Georgia, there's only one place I would be, homecoming. Homecoming was in two weeks from that. So I was like, well, they're going to send people down there to get me because they have like the little agents down there. That's no number store. They have people in Atlanta. So well, we're going to do a motherfucking show then. I was angry, bewildered. It was fucked up. So I went down to Atlanta. I knew they were going to try to make their move during tailgate, like a Jason Bourne movie. They try to follow people through the crowd and they try to find a person and they know a person's going to be in there. And I knew their psychology. They were banking on me being at tailgate so they could catch me and run up on me. So during tailgate, I faked my appearance by taking pictures with everybody there. But as soon as it started getting super lively up, I booked a tutoring session online with a client in Texas. And I went inside the library and locked myself in there for two plus hours. Because of that, I missed the brunt of tailgate. And because of that, when they were looking for me in the crowd, they weren't able to find me. So I came back to belief. I was tutoring and I go to the homecoming, try to enjoy it. One of my mom's friend rolls up at me and tries to talk to me. And I just completely ignore her like I don't know who the hell she is. I went right in my little apartment and I ducked off in the world for the rest of the day to avoid being seen and avoid being pulled off like, oh, I saw him at homecoming. That was the last time they would do anything that was related to try to get to me. I was just on the mission.
to not be bound by family obligations and toxic family members. And I realize that uh, people may have these bonds, but literally if it comes down to my personal happiness and my actual safety over what my quote unquote family wants for me, then I have to think about the family that I keep in my life. So I let them go with the exception of my sisters. And to this day, I haven't said a word to my mother or father or people who have loyalty to them. And I still mean that shit to the day they die. I had family that I keep in my life, like my best friend Aaron and Jalen and Ayana. I wanted to tell this story because I want people to realize that family isn't always blood. If your traditional family is not giving you the love and everything you need, that isn't the end all end all. And there's always love somewhere else. It can be replicated in whatever community you're in. That's what Aaron taught me. That's what Ayana taught me. That's what Jalen, that's what my whole journey has taught me. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our team, head to youhadmeatblack.com slash about us. Peace.